This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Click us a text, 2057. Send us an email at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We had that. How would you describe that interview with Sarah King? It was wonderful in so many ways and horrifying and tragic in other ways. And what an amazing mother, wife, human being to go through all of that and to come still be smiling. Well, we're uncovering more about this disease, and we have with us Gemma. Good morning, Gemma. Good morning. How are you, Rodney? Well, I'm very, very well, but I've got to ask you a question. How do I pronounce your surname? Ah, it's Verhoeven. Verhoeven. Yeah. Is it Dutch? It is, yes. My husband's name, so. Verhoeven. Well, it's a nice name and it's easy to say, Gemma Verhoeven. Yeah. Okay, Gemma. Now, we learned a little bit about EDS, but I'd like you to explain for listeners and for me uh, how you explain EDS, and then we'll go back to what it was like before, how it developed and how you got it diagnosed. Is that Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, sounds good. What's EDS? EDS is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, for me, that means um, things like your connective tissues, your ligaments, um, and everything that sort of surrounds that. Sort of, you, if you you think past those kind of things, that includes like your teeth, your eyes, um, your internal organs, and all those types of things. So the collagen that the body produces or doesn't produce, um, in our case, that gene mutation means that the, the variant isn't there to take the collagen um, to make that so that those ligaments are, are strong. So, um, so EDS um, is also quite painful in terms of aching joints and things like that. Um, a lot of people get um, dislocations or sublocations. In my case, I tend to kind of split uh, ligaments and things like that. So kind of like tear hamstrings and things like that. So that's that's more me um, in terms of EDS on that scale. So It's always the connective tissue, but because the connective tissue is so central to the body, it's on everything, organs, yeah. joints, it's not just tendons. When you have this, what shall I call it, weak collagen, weak connective tissue, defective connective tissue, the symptoms can be many and varied. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and it's really hard to connect those dots, I think, for a really long time. But, um, yeah, this affects, because it's such a spectrum disorder as well, um, it, it just affects everybody so differently. But, I mean, there's a lot of comorbidities to that too. So. You know, like pot syndromes um, and those types of things. So they all kind of systematically kind of stick together, if that makes sense yes. as well. So, um, so tell us who you are and what you were like before you discovered that you had these symptoms and then the process by which you got it diagnosed. 
Yes. So you, you yeah. did you wouldn't have picked this up when you were ten. No, no, and, that, and that's the thing. And so you were just kind of that extra bendy kid at school. Um, could do some really cool gymnastics stuff and things like that. So you're was, thinking, oh, look at me! I can do this, and I can bend and do the splits. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, well, put your hands behind your back and prayer or do crazy things with your hands and stuff. And so it sort of became one of those party tricks. But um, you don't really think much about it because obviously it's not a known condition. And so sort of as I've got older, um, things kind of started to, I guess the wheels kind of started to fall off. Um, And I guess as you sort of get up to be an adult and have those adult responsibilities, sort of those stresses kind of overcome you as well. And so it's sort of like finding that fatigue was kicking in quite a lot. Or I'd So the, f- the first thing you were noticing was getting tired? Getting tired. I'd have quite achy joints. Um, I'd sort of fatigue earlier. I'd need to go to bed. Or um, How old were you I, when you, this was happening? I would have been... I would have been in my 20s, um, but also bear in mind, also other comorbidities. I also had endometriosis as well. Uh, I was also dealing with endometriosis along. Is, is that a lady's complaint? Yes. Are you allowed to explain what it is to a man? Yeah. So endometriosis is where the uh, lining of the uterus doesn't go where it's meant to. So it's where... Uterine tissue shouldn't be, so it's growing inside um, the abdominal wall, um, and then it kind of sticks in the air. And, and then, you know, every month it builds up, but what's happening is it's building up also inside that abdomen, and then it, it oh. also, yeah, creates horrific pain. And you've got bloating, and then I'd have days at home on my couch really sick uh, with, with the endometriosis. Um, and, of course... That's being diagnosed. You were diagnosed as having endometriosis. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with having endometriosis when I was just turned 21, and I had had horrific periods my entire life. Um, and then to meet someone who, who believed me on that aspect and they did a um, laparoscopy surgery, uh, went in and found it. So he removed it at the time, and so then it was diagnosed then as endometriosis. Um, and that, that for me probably should have been the first warning sign, but you know, life carries on. I was, I was encouraged um, to have children. Endometriosis at the time also uh, wasn't very um, publicly aware. I was talking sort of almost like 15, 20 years ago now um, when the sort of all that was happening and there was no awareness um, around that either. Um, and then it sort of got into more of the body aches and the pains. Um, and then they're like, well, you know, Best thing for you now is have children. So at this point, I'm 24, 25. I want my career, I want kids. So I chose to have my children um, at that time, thinking that it was going to cure me, mm-hmm. um, which it didn't. Um, and then after my son turned one, I ended up having a hysterectomy because I got another condition called adenomyosis. Um, which um, it eats the inside muscle wall of the uterus. And so it's... Jeepers, sort of, creepers. Yeah, so it was decided at that point that it was pretty um, urgent for me to have that hysterectomy. So I had the hysterectomy at 29. 
Um, and I thought, right, great, this is the start of my new life. This is going to be absolutely wonderful. My, my, my babies are running around. We can get on with life. Um, and then things started to kind of take a bit of a slide again um, with the old abdominal pains and not really going, not really understanding what was going on. And then I went back to um, my gynecologist and he's like, you've got abdominal adhesions. Um, so he went in to have a look. And so they found that my ovaries and my bowels were all kind of sticking together and they were sticking to the back of my um, spine and things like that, which was causing me to have quite a lot of backache and uh, things like that as well. So, hey, I mean, we did that process. You think that was one. I did, we, 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 we did that three times. Three uh, times? Three times. It, it came back three times. Um, and then and each time that operate? Each time you operated, yeah. Um, and I understand with EDS, again, this is from Sarah, that getting over an operation is much tougher for you. Yeah, it is. But see, then I didn't know I had no. EDS. And that's the scary thing. because They were treating the symptom, really. Yeah. Because if they had realised that, then I don't think they would have gone in and done such an invasive yeah. surgery because – now it really has damaged um, all that stomach stuff for me, but we're, we're getting there. The, um, and, and each time they were doing this, you were thinking, oh, well, I'll do this operation and I'll be fixed. Yeah. And I'll be just fine. This is great. This is the last one. <laughs> yeah. Getting out of this. Oh, getting my life back. I know. Yeah. And, um, I know, it just and it, the wheels just continued to fall off at that point. I think I, I hit thirty. Um, you know, had a few teeth problems and that with, um, with you know having pregnancies and stuff. So it had a few teeth stuff happening. See, once again, teeth stuff, teeth problem, EDS um, also related. So wasn't aware that it was EDS. So at the time, I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm either really stressed out or whatnot. I feel like my hair's falling out and my teeth are falling out. And, you know, I've got two kids to run after and now I've got like these really bad you know, body aches at the end of the day. And I'm thinking, you know what? That's because I'm really tired running around after two kids. I'm absolutely exhausted. I'll get in a hot bath. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Um, Mothers. Yeah. I know. Amazing. <laughs> Mothers. God, they're tough. Yeah, you do. Um, and then it probably wasn't until really it was only two years ago um, where actually symptoms continued to get worse and I went and saw my GP who said, oh, well, you know, seeing you to a rheumatoidologist is probably just a bit of fibromyalgia, um, blah, 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 blah. So I went and saw a rheumatoidologist here and she was like, can't see anything wrong with you. It's probably fibromyalgia. Take it easy on the exercise and go home. So I would have thought the rheumatologist at that point probably would have picked up um, the EDS because they do the full bait and score and all that process for EDS. Um, but she didn't diagnose me with that. She told me it was fibromyalgia. Sorry, you mentioned a score. That's yeah. a score that's diagnostic for EDS. Yeah, it is. And that's that really does test your flexibility and joints. You could have asked to do a series of different things, um, and that would show 
how far those joints could bend Got back it. or um, recess back um, into the joint. And so. she did that test? She did that test, yeah. And she's like, well, you know, there's nothing particularly remarkable here. You're a little bit hypermobile. Do a bit of weights. Do a bit of walking. Um, that's all I can really do for you. So I kind of left there like, well, you know, I accepted that at the time. Mm. No, you would. Better. No, you don't. It's only looking in hindsight that you can see it. Yeah. So I'm like, well, you know, that's 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 my lot. I can accept that. I'd been to see the GP. We'd sort of set up some um, medication to kind of combat that. Um, but things still were not improving. In fact, things were continuing to um, get much worse. Um, and then I went back to my GP, and they're like, oh well, it's just a stomach bug. Go home. Um, so with all the stomach stuff is starting to happen. So, um, and what are your family and friends and work colleagues? What are they making of this? Because you're just continually sick. It's it's really hard. I think you you really learn who your family and friends are. Um, it's definitely can be a very isolating uh, situation to to be in. But um, hey, look, I've got some really amazing family and friends i've got my amazing dad and my husband and all that all here um constantly to support me or to, or to help me work or you know and I, and I really couldn't do what i do now or to be in a functional space if i didn't have that type of support behind me um yeah because it'd be really easy for people to be like oh well it's it's not my problem or shit, you're sick again, or we just don't invite you out anymore. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I guess it gets this, it has its challenges for sure. And it's easy to be sympathetic, but very hard to live with, particularly when you have kids, you're working, you've got a house, got all the pressures of living these days, yeah. and then your wife is constantly in pain and sick, and you don't understand why. Nor does she. No. No. And and for a long time, my, my poor husband's, and we're just running around through GPs, like, couldn't find anything wrong. And this yet. is a lot of money, right? It's a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of everything to, to be able to get in and see a specialist and then wait for a scan or get this and that done. And this really has been you know, over, you know, two, three years now that, you know, we're still trying to, I guess, piece it all together uh, in terms of what was happening. So so you came back from the rheumatologist. They said, oh, it's probably a bit of fibromyalgia. I can't pronounce these. <laughs> fibromyalgia. Yeah, you're so good. You should be a doctor. You're so good at this <laughs> stuff. And then you probably know more now with all this. Um, you're certainly being more sympathetic. And you're now dismissed as, oh, you got a stomach upset, then what? Then I started to get really sick, so I started having oh, I thought you were already really sick. <laughs> That's <laughs> no, pretty I funny. No, I mean, I'm I, sorry to laugh, but, like, I'm sitting there saying, God, you were sick, and then you got really sick. Oh, my God. And I got really sick. I got really sick. Um, I was vomiting. I had really bad tummy problems going on wasn't being able to, to eat properly. And it's just like, and some of these symptoms were really just kind of creeping on. And so once again, you could, I could kind of 
dismiss it, I guess, as a mother that you do and just kind of be like, well, just wasn't hungry that day or I feel a bit off that day. It's just a part of everything else that's going on. Because um, this is your everyday experience now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, like, well, this is outside of my so-called new normal. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you express that to um, a doctor or GP that those symptoms that you have have now changed? Um, um, and it was it's been really hard because they never. There's a lot of doctors who have never listened. I went and saw um, a gastroenterologist who said, "Well, you know what? You've only got IBS." a bit of a, a funny tummy, here's some fibre caps, go home, you'll be just fine. And I got out of her office and I, and I got in the car with my husband and I think I broke down and cried and I said, I, I wasn't heard today. And I said, I feel, I actually feel really worried because, you know, I genuinely knew something was really, really, really wrong and sort of to be dismissed in a way that was kind of like, once again, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just fibro, you're chronically ill. You just have to accept your position in life. Here's the pills you need. Go away. We don't know what to do with you. This is too complex. Um, we've done all these tests. We've done all your labs. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Go home. Um, and you know yeah, there is something wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I would know and, and, and so your conclusion is thinking, did that lady hear one thing I said? Just how horrible it is. You're sitting there thinking, you know, at worst you've got, you know, bowel cancer, you know what I mean? And you're yeah. just sitting there. She's not even prepared to go in and have a look. So I'm a little bit screwed. So I went and saw another specialist and she put me on to another gastroenterologist and I marched back into my GP and said, hey, I, I want to go and see blah, blah, blah. So I got in and saw this particular specialist. And for once it was kind of like I was being heard and that someone was listening and that um, he really took everything that I had to say on board and was really taken quite seriously. So um, he ran a lot of tests um, and we got to the bottom of things and we ended up doing this particular test called a gastric emptying study um, done at the, at the public hospital. Um, it's like toast with radioactive scrambled eggs. Um, you literally go up there and camp for the day. So I was up there for over five hours. Um, and they have got a set time to eat this meal. So you've got like five minutes to eat this piece of toast. Um, and then you go in and they scan your stomach full at food and then they'll do another one at 30 minutes and then they'll do one hourly after that um, and that shows whether the stomach is emptying at its correct rate um, and so I had that done and got those results back and so those were that my stomach was quite impaired so that my stomach wasn't emptying out into the small bowel at all and then was diagnosed with gastroparesis, which is the paralyzation of the stomach. Um, that one was a, has been a particularly difficult and challenging diagnosis, I think, for me. But um, that was only recent. That that only happened 
August last year after two years of kind of battling with um, my doctors and GPs. Um, but in a sense, there was a sense of relief that there was an answer to what was actually going on and that they could actually find um, actual genuine reason for what was happening um, inside my body. But, um, you know, I've got part of the esophagus uh, that's just above the stomach, so that junction there um, is severely impaired and also the outlet of the stomach, um, the pylorus valve from the stomach to the small bowel, that is also severely impaired. So what happens is when you have, for a normal person, you eat a meal, num, 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 sits there, it's going to digest, and that process takes two to three hours max, and it's completely emptied out of your stomach, and you're ready for another meal. Um, and the rate of which my stomach empties out is I eat a meal, and that might take me 12 hours for my body to empty that out of my stomach. And so it's just kind of sitting there doing not much, hanging out. Um, and getting a little putrid or something. Yeah, it does get a little putrid, yeah. So we're like some of like uh, the other symptoms come in play. So, um, but yeah, it's it, did, it, you, did you find that upset in your tummy and below? Did it affect your thinking? Like, did you go into a bit of a brain fog or anything like that, or was your mind okay? Uh, it was it was a shock for quite a long time. Uh, I think it still is. I think it's something um, I feel better about the whole situation now than what I did when I had that in August. Um, it's only really sort of since, I don't know, the last couple of months really that we sort of, feel that everything's kind of feeling a little bit more stabilised um, in my life and sort of kind of feeling like okay at the moment and okay where things are and I feel um, that things are kind of a little bit more stable but, you know, I I can't eat solid food anymore. I, I'm on, I have onshore, you know those wee medical drinks? Yeah. Yeah, so I have those. So those are my main meals now. Um, and then I have oh my goodness. snacks and things like that in between. But um, it is that that in itself has sort of improved the quality of life in terms of energy and being able to sort of get on and be a mum in, in a sense as well. So that was that diagnosis, but we still hadn't got to the EDS, had we? No, no. I've, I've kind of um, tipped that bit. Not on purpose, mind you, Rodney. Um, EDS, the EDS diagnosis came the year before my gastroparesis. So we were getting on the right track. And I, once I'd had that wall with the GPs and the doctors, I kind of started looking for other people like me or other, other ways to sort of get help. And so I, I connected with the hypermobility clinic um, here in Christchurch, uh, I met with a lovely lady there, um, and she diagnosed me with EDS, um, and she specifically deals with EDS here in Christchurch and sort of takes on all those patients. So she got the ball rolling on that EDS diagnosis. And at the time, like, that itself was a bombshell um, 
to deal with because you're thinking, oh, my God, I've, you know, great, I've got so far in life, but at the same time, like, I've had all these surgeries and all these things that have happened that maybe we could have managed better that so that I could not have been in this situation. So um, getting that, that diagnosis for me for EDS was really, I, I guess, almost like a golden ticket because then I could – go forth in the right manner yes. to, to get the right people. And, and Yes, and you know what's a good thing to do and what's a potentially bad thing to do at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And EDS is a genetic issue. For some, it can be picked up. They can see it within the DNA. But... Is there anyone like your granddad or any? does anyone else in your family have it that you're aware of? That's a great question. And, you know, it's one that we talk about um, in our family quite a bit too. Um, Although there seems to be traits, um, doesn't also necessarily pair up. Um, We may have thought potentially by my my mum's mum was probably – on definitely within that scale of, of Elos Dandros, although um, I would probably say my mum would have been too. But um, once again, it's sort of not, you don't know it's not normal unless you don't know it's yes. not normal. It's only so. when you start to look that you see it. And yeah. um, men can get it? Men can get it too. Um, it's less Less men are less inclined to get it. It seems okay. to be more female predominant um, type disorder, but there are definitely men out there that that do have it and and do suffer for sure. It's just that the ratio of numbers, women to men, women sort of outweigh that a little bit more as well. Yeah, and the internet must be a marvelous thing because you'll be able to connect with sufferers through New Zealand and indeed around the world? It's been amazing, yes, um, and it, it's great. It's been a great source, I think, in terms of the only great thing I could say about social media is, is sometimes having that ability to, to connect with people yes. um, on that level and to kind of feel um, normal and have it feel normalised. Um, and that we're sort of all in the same boat together and we can all kind of have a bit of a joke about it but also sort of be there to support one another when when things crop up. So, And would you say on your social media talking about EDS in New Zealand, would there be dozens or ones? Or, like, how big is your little contact group of EDS sufferers? We, yeah, I, I would say we'd be in the thousands. Um, no. Yeah, you know, no, it's it's a lot common than what you would think. Um, and there was conversations on really whether whether EDS is as rare as what we originally had thought it was. So um it's there's definitely a few out there. Um yeah, there's definitely a few thousand on our page alone here in New Zealand, and then you've got the international pages, which are like, you know, 50,000 plus, you think America. Wow. Yeah. Up there in huge numbers. Wow. So there's a there's obviously several in Christchurch. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's lots of us in Christchurch, and there's a few of us with um that also have gastroparesis as well. So 
although I haven't had much of an opportunity to meet with um, too many here in Christchurch, uh, we do connect, obviously, through um, social medias. And, mm. and, and when you're um, presumably in the past and to this day, there'll be people suffering EDS totally oblivious to the underlying cause of their medical problems. Yeah. No, there is. Um, And in a way, it's not a good thing, um, potential there to to save people from unnecessary things, surgeries and stuff. So um, awareness really needs to be raised um, and more doctors need to know about it. And there needs to be a way for GPs to be able to also diagnose that as well um, because there seems to be so much so many more people identifying or going, oh, hey, I think it might be EDS. Or I had a, um, a friend last year and I'm like, hey, all these things that are going on with you, do you think it might be Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? Um, she went home and looked it up and then she got diagnosed um, early this year. So it sort of, for her, that, that was also life-changing and she's sort of, she's 38 as well. She's gone through um, most of her life or half her life without really knowing what was going on or any reason for what was happening to her body. So so right now, what's your situation and are you on medication for this? That's a great question. Um, I, I work where I can. Um, I have, have a light benefit of being um, working for myself a little bit on and off from home. So I can have days where I can work um, – in days where I can put my, my computer down and feel okay with that and be able to walk away and take the days that I need to either rest or go to appointments um, or, or sleep and things like that. Um, so in terms of that, sort of being able to manage my work and responsibilities in between sleeping and naps and all that type of stuff. Um, I do, yeah, I have, I have a whole container of medication. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a lot of regular medication that I sort of have to take, some for um, pain and nerve damage stuff and one for um, to help with my digestion. It's, it's a medication called Domperidone, so it helps helps the stomach um, empty out into the small bowel faster. And you must be off and off to the doctors and hospitals still. Yeah, chronic. Yeah, I was literally just there literally before our, uh, our time um, this afternoon, today. So it's just kind of like, um, yeah. yeah. And what's the outlook? I mean, you don't get over this. So is it a sort of slow deterioration that you manage do you fight it off can you fight it off how do you think about it going forward yeah it's it's never really far from my mind um it's i guess the reality is we we don't i don't know if we really know um the outcome as such um especially with the gastroparesis because that's also a condition that's so unknown um 
and so rare um, that um, even our specialists here still struggle to really know how to manage these conditions. And I think they, they try and manage these conditions to the best of their abilities, but at the same time, I think there's a lot here that um, we, we don't have access to as well um, in terms of medication or um, medical procedures and things like that that, that may help uh, make things better. But um, I mean, our hope is that it, it won't deteriorate mm. uh, and that we would be able to manage and, and stay stable where we are for a long period of time. Um, I, w- I would hate to see that that be the case, um, but at the same time, we can only really take it day by day and week by week and sort of manage it as, as it happens and as it pops up because um, the nature of the beast is that every day is different. Um, and the pain is always changing. And even though yesterday might have been a good day, you know, tomorrow could be complete rubbish. Well, it must be very hard being a parent and a wife in social settings because you never know what, you know, you might get invited to the soccer match or to a function. You can't foresee what you'll be like on that day, whether you'll be up to it. It must be sort of a bit of a downer socially. Can be, it, it can be. Um, but once again, I kind of try not to let it beat me down. Okay. Um, I always sort of try and, even on my bad days, still turn up and still be there. Um, wow. You know, like I. In some ways, it's kind of nice to keep busy so that I don't have to think about yes. the pain at times, um, and I can just forget about it and and do my things. But. Um, yeah, um, socially it is really awkward because um, I can't drink either. So I've been I've been sober for like <laughs> two years, but um, that 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 was really hard initially too because um, we were always social drinkers and, and social eaters and all that kind of stuff. So um, as even though my my function to to eat and party may not be quite to the same level as everybody else's, I, st- I still think. There's no reason why I can't participate because at the end of the day, no one's really going to be paying attention to whether you've eaten five hot dogs or five glasses of wine. So you could stand there with a glass, a glass of Coke and no one would have any idea. So no. in, in terms of that, we can, we can kind of uh, but, hide it. Hide but it it's quite a f- I don't drink. And it's quite a funny thing because what you find is you get quite bored and it, it can be a long night. Yeah. <laughs> Because you're sitting there with your Coke and everyone's having a hell of a time and you're thinking, starting to look at your watch. And then you, I always go and eat because I love eating. Yeah. And, and I just sit there and get fat. Yeah. But uh, you can't even do that. You've got to go out and suck on some medical slush. I, that must be tough because sort of food is so much of your family and social life. And I always, I'm always, I wake up looking forward to breakfast. I head off to work looking forward to lunch, and yeah. all the rest of the day I'm looking forward to dinner. I'm one of I. My life revolves around food. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that must be hard. You know that little. Oh, here's my container. <laughs> through a straw. I know, but I think once I got past that kind of initial shock and kind of like what is my life and how is my life and 
how do we move forward? I still like, I still enjoy cooking for my family and I still. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big baker. So I do a lot of baking and things. And like can that. you have a wee nibble or not at all? Yeah, I have a wee lick. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally fine. <laughs> you can have a little bit, but you just yeah, got to. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you've had a lot of interaction with the health system. And looking back on it and reflecting on it, what would be your suggestion to the medical profession? Uh, one of the things that occurs to me is, listen, but have you got a deeper suggestion, you got a suggestion for like what they need to do to be better at their job? They, they really, they really on. I think they really need to know their patient or to really just see beyond what they're there for that, that specific time they've come in for their one thing that they're allowed to talk about for their 15 minutes or whatever the time frame is um, and nothing beyond that. Like, you know, they don't, they just say, like, oh, you know, this or it's just that or just this, but not actually connecting any of the dots or looking back and going, oh, hang on, this has happened, like, five times now or and you know and this is happening and that is happening like do you think there's more than you know like I think they just really need to, to really yeah to, to really listen um and to really look at the whole picture to really look at the whole patient um as a whole and not just one specific problem that it feels it like. feels a bit broken doesn't it that it's all good if you have a sniffle or you need to go off to have a test whether you've got cancer and it can all be done with the algorithm and you fit the category. Mm. But for a condition such as yours, it needs a deeper look, doesn't it? And yeah. the system sort of doesn't seem to be, oh, you get sent off to a specialist, but you saw all the specialists and they still didn't pick that up. In fact, it was only your efforts pushing and pushing and pushing and demanding to see the right people that got you there. Yeah, and it, and it was, and, man, that was it was so hard. Was, and, you know, to, to be there to, to constantly, it was literally appointment after appointment after appointment after appointment. And sort of you're getting getting to that exhaustive point. Um, but, yeah if, yeah, if I had not taken, as you said, I, I wouldn't if I had not taken that initiative or I had not someone um, – sort of, I guess, encouraged me to take another a step to sort of work towards that. I think I would have been inclined to sort of accept what they were telling me to be true because you go there because you trust them and you trust their advice that they're giving you the right information, that they're treating you for the right medical condition. Um, and even if it is a little bit more complex, so I really would have thought that they would have had a more wealth of knowledge Beyond that, they're sort of like the jack of all trades and master mm. of none. Um, well, it's a good message for our listeners too, is that you know, not to be so readily fobbed off because doctors are quite good at moving you along to the next patient and getting through their list. Yeah. And sometimes we have to say no, but of course it's hard when you're sick because you're sick. And um, that's when you need people in your corner. Supporting you, and you sound like you have a wonderful husband and family. You're very blessed in that regard. Yeah, 
I am. Thank you. <laughs> well, they have been sorely tested. And in your husband's case, uh, through sickness and health, really meant uh, something for him. I know. He really came through. I've, I've, he I've really came through. Well, you are very, very fortunate. You chose well. Gemma, now I'm going to just test that I got your surname right. Gemma Verhoeven. Gemma Verhoeven, it's it's Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've been exploring EDS and what a devastating syndrome it is. What a complex set of symptoms it has, so hard to understand and track back, but it is genetic. There are tests for it, and it can be picked up for many people with a genetic analysis. It's real. And what a difference it makes even knowing what it is that's making you so sick in such a complex array. And we met Sarah King and Gemma, and impressive woman, to overcome such odds and still laugh, still take joy in their family, still look forward. Uh, it's wonderful. And I'm never going to grumble about getting up in the morning now because my joints aren't painful right not yet oh you're wonderful Gemma <laughs> thank you so thank you. much for sharing us we all the listeners and all the people here we wish you all the very best we appreciate you sharing your story with us uh you're inspirational you're oh, inspirational okay. for everyone that's that's sick that was Gemma Gemma Verhoeven mother wife worker Wonderful human being. You're on Reality Check Radio. Oh, send us a text at 2057. You might have a wee note for for Gemma, a bit of encouragement, or send us an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio, or a story to share. Please email us or text us. Uh, it's wonderful to have you along. Thank you very much, Rodney. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you for your time. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.